Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. Welcome to Four Corners Church. If you're a guest, a special, special welcome to you. You moved some papers when you sat down inside your offering envelope. It's a card. It's called a Connect card. Pastor Will was telling you about these green boxes for Engage so that you can engage what we're doing here. But if you're a guest, would you please give us your name and on the back your home address, and we'll send you some coupons for some free Chick-fil-A food. It's our way of saying thanks for being with us today. In just a minute, we're going to uh, do the next installment of our seven message series where we're looking at the seven churches of Asia and the letters that Jesus transcribed through the Apostle John to those churches. But first, I have a couple guests with me on the stage. Um, if you've been around 4C for any length of time, neither one of these folks are strangers. This is uh, Pastor Melissa, and this is Pastor Bubba. Hey, well, he's not a pastor, but you basically should be. Um, Bubba Heron has been at our church since really day one, literally, came on the very first Sunday. Am I right? Correct. There you go. You came on the very first Sunday. Um, Bubba was invited by a family who was attending our church. We used to, when we first started, meet in a movie theater. And our first invites were little, looked like little movie tickets. And so Bubba was used to playing um, golf on Sunday morning. And um, then on the first Sunday of our church's existence, somewhere back in September of 2004, he and his wife Judy came. And uh, Bubba told me it was a wonderful decision for the family, except that his golf game just went downhill, big time. Uh, because his Sunday mornings, along with his wife Judy, became all about serving uh, at our church and being a part of the community here. And uh, wasn't long, I think, was it week two I recruited you to be a greeter? Second week, yes. Second week. I remember uh, in the early days, we'd just walk around and go, are you breathing? Would you serve? That's kind of the way, <laughs> that's kind of the way that worked. And... Uh, and then Miss Judy, early on, began to serve in our kids' ministry. Correct. She, uh, we used to go to a church, a Nazarene church in Fairfield, and she was uh, doing the kids there. And uh, so she's a natural kid. She just loved, she loves kids. Yeah. So she, she served. And, and the challenge was when we met in a theater is we didn't have great kid space. In fact... Every building we'd been in was a temporary building, and even when we moved in here, we had to do a lot of work to get the space ready for kids. And our philosophy as a church was is that our kids would always get our best space, they would always get our best energies, and adults would just kind of make do as, as we could. And so Miss Judy and the team there, they would gather and they would go into these theaters that on Saturday night were full of people eating juju beans and popcorn and spilling, you know, coke all over the floor, and they'd have to sometimes mop and vacuum and clean and set up temporary furniture, and they would serve our kids. And the reason Bubba is up here today is, is that we're getting really close to finishing up our kids' space, which is on the other side of this room. And our preschool area that meets on the other side of this wall is moving over here. Our elementary space is getting an upgrade. There's even a family room you're going to hear about in just a moment to serve the church family at large. And um, one of the things that helped make possible this advancement in our kids' ministry was the kind and generous offers of money and time made by many of you in the name and in the memory of Miss Judy Heron. And um, what I wanted to do is to share with you two quick reflections about Miss Judy and then um, kind of tell you where we're going from here, all right? Uh, one I've shared a number of times, it was one of the funniest things that ever happened to me. It was uh, on a Sunday after church, and we had had a particularly interesting day back in kids' ministry, and 
Uh, I was on my way out the door. I often saw Miss Judy straightening, straightening up her classroom because she would do that. She'd serve all day and then she'd clean the room, bub. As I'm walking out and I'm like, Miss Judy, you need a hand cleaning? She said, no, but do you have any communion wine left? I could use a little bit of that. <laughs> I said, it was a rough day, wasn't it? It wasn't. Uh, right on our anniversary, right after, actually, like real close to our anniversary in um, 2016, Miss Judy passed away. She had uh, struggled with, some, with, with cancer, and uh, uh, cancer took her body, but it didn't take her soul, it didn't take her heart, and it didn't take our love for her. And so um, on our anniversary this year, which will be the third Sunday of September, we will officially install a plaque on our new kids area, um, dedicating that space in honor of Miss Judy. But today, we're going to do a portion of that. So what I have for you, Mr. Bubba, it's a little plaque. I want to read it to everybody here. <clears throat> Here's what it says. Uh, for more than a decade of faithful and loving service of her Lord and the children of Four Corners Church, these family ministries environments are dedicated in honor of Miss Judy Heron. And then there's some dates down there. It says, with kindness and selfless love, she brought deep and eternal impact to children and their families at Four Corners Church. Earth and heaven have been forever changed by this small but mighty woman of God. Her legacy is of joy in service, quiet confidence of faith, quick smiles, and easy laughter. She brought happiness to children. Heaven is more crowded and will be sweeter because of her. We know we'll see her again. And then there's a verse that I think she embodied as she followed Jesus, it says, and he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them from Mark 10, 16. And then there's some of my favorite pictures of Miss Judy um, with some kids, and there's even one of her there with you. Bubba, um, you have in many ways carried on her legacy of love and, and kindness to my family, to this church, but our children's ministry is forever changed because of Miss Judy. And in a few weeks when we officially open, today you can go through the open door that's been opened and walked through. Um, we're going to screw a brass plaque behind the door there, and uh, everybody who passes through will know that um, she made an indelible mark on this place. And I wanted to present you this as a token of our love and affection for you, our appreciation for your family's investment, and in honor of everybody who gave a gift to help make this space happen in her name. So would you give it up for Bubba and Miss Judy? Thank you. Yeah. We got right here for a second. So we're going to officially dedicate, but I thought it'd be appropriate if we just prayed for our kids' ministry right now. Would you bow with me? Father, I stand here uh, with a man who has given his heart and uh, so much of his time and energy to this place. We're grateful, Lord, that you brought Miss Judy and Mr. Bubba to us. We're grateful, Lord, for the investment that people can make when they give themselves to you. They give time, they give energy, they give emotion, they give dollars, but what happens is as you transform all of that into eternal impact. There are families whose eternal destinies have been changed because of what Miss Judy did. There are children who will be in heaven because of what she did. There are moms and dads who were able to listen to a message and engage a service knowing that their kids were loved because of what Miss Judy did. And we're not here necessarily to celebrate a woman, but God, we're here to celebrate the work you did through her. Her faithful service, her kindness, her compassion on display, we are forever grateful. Thank you, Father, for the gift that was Miss Judy, and we do look forward to seeing her again. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One more time, say thank you. Appreciate you, buddy. Thank you all.
So this is uh, Pastor Melissa, and she is here to help tell you about a couple of exciting things coming on. Just over a year ago, she moved from serving in our middle school environment to be an adult development pastor. And um, she has, while not a primary investment in what's going on over in that space, there is a few square feet kind of carved out as a family space that'll be used for some adult ministries, some meetings, and some other stuff. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about that and maybe how they could see it? Well, I'm really excited about it because we are here to help families become fully developing followers of Jesus. And while our focus is on kids a lot of our time, I think one of the best ways we can help our kids and our students is through investing in their parents, their grandparents, and the adults in their lives. And so we have some amazing discipleship tools, some ways to help you figure out what your purpose is, how God created you. We do a lot of that through Grow, um, which has been fantastic. It launched just over a year ago. There are four experiences, and we've seen a couple hundred people go through them. Um, But what we're finding is is that there are a couple natural barriers, especially for parents of young kids, and that is childcare and time. And with this new family room back here, we're going to be able to shift grow number two, three, and four to Sunday mornings so that childcare is in place, your kids are having a blast, um, and you don't have to carve out an additional couple hours into your week. So um, starting August the 19th, Grow 2 will be the first one that you can do back here in our new family room. So I'm excited about that. So if you want to know which is the room, since there's no placards on, we're not quite done. We don't have occupancy. If you're a member, we'll explain all that to you at the membership meeting tonight and what our expected dates are. But if you want to know which room that is, you can walk through the new hole that's cut in the wall in the lobby. It'll be the first room first on, the, on right. the right, and uh, you can kind of look in there, and uh, there are some folks here for a while last night kind of making sure it's getting cleaned up, because we are going to have a little luncheon for Mr. Bubba yes. and uh, his family and some folks who uh, really uh, help make this space happen, right? right. Now, there's some other stuff going on in adult ministries, like there's a big event this weekend on Saturday. I think it's on the front of the it program. It is. It's the Beach Water Park Day, so um, the beach every year has church day. And this year, they gave us the opportunity to be the sponsor of that. So this is what it means. They promoted our church through most of their advertising, um, and they're doing—they're giving us a huge gift. Um, if you go online and buy your tickets for the beach this week, um, thebeachwaterpark.com, and you use Four Corners code, you're going to get them for $14.99, which is half of the gate price. But they're going to give our church $7 per ticket. Um, that's crazy. I I'm, just I'm still felt like something. I yeah. don't know what I well, felt Well, that's right furniture there. for new kids' spaces. If we all show up and bring all our family and friends, so um, we not only that, but we want a day. It's been a crazy summer, full of really great things. But I'm excited to have a day at the beach where, whether you have kids or not, you come out, you have fun, you sit in the sun, you talk to people, um, and you just engage the community just by being friendly. That's it. So it's Saturday from 10 to 4. Yeah. Our staff will all be there. Um, bring your kids invite your neighbors um, and use the code to get a discount price. So that's going to be a blast. Um, there was some something said about $10,000 gift if I wore a Speedo. I just wanted to make it clear. There it has will to be, have a flag on it. There will be no... <laughs> There will be no Speedos. No, no Speedos. Uh, all. I mean, I, yeah, no. I don't care. Um, so I'm really, really excited about this. So um, you just go to the beach website, and then when you go to buy your ticket, you put in the code. It's just four, no spaces, corners. Four, the number, four, 
corners and half price. And you can share that with your friends, mm -hmm. uh, your family, whatever, and they can all go half price. And then we got some games and stuff like that. Right, and the those. link ends on Friday, so make sure you do it on Friday. The link is not available on Saturday, the day of, so make sure you do it on Friday. Good. And then Sunday, we're having the one service, and I'm super stoked about this because we have first service people you guys, we have second service people. A lot of times we don't know each other. And so Sunday at 10 o'clock, it'll be our entire church family. We're going to have some overflow spaces set up. Um, and then after the service, we're going to be going outside, right outside the front doors. The band's going to be out there. And we're going to be doing outdoor baptisms outside. We have eight already confirmed. But on Sunday, we will also offer spontaneous baptism. So begin praying about that. It's something that you just really feel tugged about. That is your day. We will have short shirts, towels, everything for you on that day outside. Um, and then the last thing is the triathlon, which happens every year across the street at VOA, is that day. So um, Tyler's Villain Cox will be shut down. The way you get here is to come off Liberty Way. And then when you get to Cox Road, there'll be officers right there. Just wave at them. Tell them you're coming to Four Corners. And there will be a coned lane um, to get in here on Sunday morning. So if you're used to coming north on Cox Road, you'll want to come north on I-75. You can get off that way. Um, otherwise, they'll have you circle around and you'll end up going that way anyway. So if you try to come off of Tylersville onto Cox, not going to happen. Tylersville to 75 and up or any other way that you want to get here. And they'll let you in. You just tell them you're here uh, with the church. If you try to go the other way, there you will get a ticket. That's just what's going to happen there. Hey, Melissa, I'm really excited about what's happening um, with our kids' ministry, um, how the Grow experience is happening on Sunday morning is going to help us. Uh, let, me, let me tell you what, what I hope you heard is that if you invest a guest, if you invite a guest here, you make that investment to do that. We're going to love their kids, and we're going to help their parents. Our mission is to help families here. And when we help moms and dads become more lovers of Jesus, and when we help kids understand the love of God, we're never more on point than when we do that. And uh, all the work that we've been doing around here this summer is to help us get ready for more of that. Really grateful for your work and for stepping forward and being faithful to what God's called you to do. Would you say thank you to an awesome team member right here? Yeah. Well, if you have your Bible and you want to go to Revelation chapter 3, you can also follow along in your message notes. And I gave you a gift today. I went ahead and put all the answers in for you. That's on purpose. In fact, I didn't even send these to the guys who typically put them up on the screen. Because last week, if you were here, you remember that I... Um, didn't follow my notes, um, which made me very nervous. I got home, I was all upset, and, uh, but this week we're going to stick a little more closely. You don't have to like, take time to fill them in if you don't want, but there is some room to take a few notes. So let me tell you what we've been doing. We've been looking at the words of Jesus to the seven churches that are located in and around Asia Minor, and I believe I have a map that we've been using to kind of talk about that. And uh, that map is coming up right here. Today, we're looking at church number six. It's the church at Philadelphia. Now, that's not the Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. That's not that one there. This is the original Philadelphia, and it was started by two brothers. And the name Philadelphia means the city of brotherly love. And what was interesting about the two brothers that supposedly in ancient history started the city of Philadelphia is they didn't like each other. So the name is kind of a hint to the story, to the ancient uh, Greek mythology of that city there. And Philadelphia is an amazing city. And, and in fact, today, there's still a thriving community there. And let me tell you what they're most known for. They're most known for growing raisins, considered the 
finest soil to grow grapes. The grapes in that region, or most of them are turned into raisins. So when you eat raisin brands, you can think about the Bible story of Philadelphia. In our story today, Philadelphia was a city where there was a local church that had been established. It was a local church that was a very, very good and healthy church. And Jesus shows up to the leader of that church, the Apostle John. He's in exile on the Isle of Patmos. Jesus shows up to John and dictates a letter to John about the church. And we're going to look at it today. And the good news for today is, is that this is, this is a church that Jesus doesn't have anything bad to say about. It's only good stuff. There's two churches of the seven that Jesus looks at and he says, you're pretty much killing it. Like, you're getting it right. And Philadelphia is one of those churches. And so when we look at the letter of Jesus through John to the church today that met in Philadelphia, what we're going to discover is the heart of Jesus for that church and what Jesus values in that church and the kind of things that Jesus' followers would want to have in mind if they wanted Jesus to look at them and go, you're doing really, really, really well. You're doing really well. Now, this city was an important city because it was one of the last major metropolitan stops if you were making your way from the central parts of the Roman Empire out into the eastern hinterland. You would often end up at Philadelphia and the roads would split from there. It did have incredible commerce because much of the city was built over top of what was volcanic ash at one point. Historically, lots of volcanic activity. And even in modern times, in that area, there's a lot of volcanic activity that happens. And as a result, when you would build a building in Philadelphia, you had to pay an awful lot of attention to the foundations. In fact, I think I have a picture of uh, the modern ruins of Philadelphia. You see those two big block walls right there? If you were to visit the modern city of Philadelphia today, you would see Three of these, these are the two biggest. These are the, what's left of the foundations of a massive door to a massive church built in the 6th century after Jesus. Because all the way from the time of the writing here, about 100 years after Jesus, not quite, all the way through modern times, the ground over there shakes quite a bit. And so whenever you were going to build a massive building, you would have to spend an inordinate amount of time to create an, an infrastructure to support the weight. These are what's left of an ancient set of church doors. And what's interesting about them is they've stood for, you know, 1,300 years. It's pretty impressive, actually, that they've been able to stand. But what's impressive about the church at Philadelphia is that that church, interestingly, was active for about 1,300 years. From the time Jesus writes the letter through John to this church, for 1,300 years, this was an active church that did the work of Jesus faithfully. And it wasn't until really some geopolitical movements around where there was a Muslim invasion of the area that the local church there was shut down. Its buildings were recommissioned for other purposes. That's why there's only the doorways left. Most of the churches that couldn't be recommissioned were tore down. But that church at Philadelphia that we're going to read about today, we're going to discover why it was such an important church to Jesus. When we read it, there's stuff that that church did well that made it such a powerful church that it had generational impact. Moms and dads and kids and grandkids and great-grandkids all were impacted by that church because they did church 
really, really well. And Jesus shows up to the church leader, dictates a letter to John and says, I want to tell you, John, about this church that I love. I want to tell you about this church that's getting it right. And we have the gift of reading that letter today and discovering what's on the heart of Jesus. And I think without a whole lot of stretching, you can see why churches are still reading the letters of Jesus to these churches, and specifically the one to Philadelphia, because it's an encouraging word, sometimes in a world that is pretty difficult to get the work of Jesus done in. I don't know if you've thought about it or not, but did you understand that the the church has an enemy? There is a battle going on. For the work of the local church, there's an enemy. His name is the devil or Satan or the deceiver. And his plan for the church is very clear. The Bible makes it perfectly clear what his plan is. It is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And that enemy has been very effective to sneak into God's church and create craziness. We serve a perfect God He sent his one and only son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, gave his life on a cross, was resurrected, went back to heaven, and left the church in place to carry on his mission. And that mission goes forth. It is the largest organization the world has ever seen. It's bigger than, back in the 1980s, IBM or AT&T. It's bigger today than Google or Amazon. In America alone, there are 300,000 churches just in America. There are more members in the church. There are more resources in the church than the largest company in the world today. A hundred years from now, if Jesus doesn't return, the likelihood that Amazon's still going to be a thriving force, pretty low. The likelihood Google is still going to control all of your information, pretty low. But the likelihood the church of Jesus Christ will still be an active force, bringing the gospel of Jesus forward and changing lives, incredibly high, guaranteed. In fact, it's the only enterprise that humans get to be a part of that will last until the very last day of the earth. The Bible tells us that until the very last day of the earth, the church is still going to be here. What that means is when you make an investment into the church, you're making an investment into an organization that has weathered the test of time. It has stood against every foe imaginable, and it's still doing its work. And Jesus comes to one of those churches and he says, I just want you to know you're killing it. You're doing great. You're, you're, you got it. So I want us to look at his words there in your message notes in your Bible. They will be on the screen if you follow, want to follow along. Revelation chapter 3. Here's what our Bible says. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Like every letter Jesus writes through John to the churches, each letter begins with a picture of Jesus. The picture of Jesus today, right there in our first couple sentences, is is that Jesus is the one who is holy and true, and he holds the key 
of David. Now, that phrase, key of David, may not resonate with you, but remember that every original reader of this letter from Jesus through John to the church would have had a Jewish background. And when the name David was spoken, it conjured up all kinds of imagery in their shared past. It conjured up a king who was powerful, who united a kingdom, who was, who was victorious over the enemy, who built an incredible palace and ultimately leveraged his influence to build the temple in which God would be worshipped. When Jesus describes him, the one who holds the key of David, it harkens back to all those buildings that were the stuff of legends that Jewish children were told about. Back in the day, they were told, when David was king, he built massive palaces and he gathered a bunch of resources and he began construction. He wasn't able to finish it on a temple. His son Solomon finished it. And it was the most beautiful building you ever saw. Jesus says of himself, I'm the one that, hold, I'm the one that holds the key to that temple. I'm the one that has the ability to open the door of that and to shut the door of that. In fact, I'm the one that holds the key in such a way that if I open the door, no one can shut that door. And if I shut a door, no one can open that door. In the pages of the Bible, doors have had, well, an, an interesting journey through the stories of the Bible. One of the first places doors are mentioned is in the story of Noah. And we're told that in the time of Noah, that God shut the door of the ark. That's what the Bible says, that when it came time for the door of the ark to be shut, the rains began to come, that God is the one that actually shut the door. When you read the story of the ark with the image of God shutting the door, you know that when God shut that door, what he was doing is he was protecting and preserving his work and his plan for humanity. And there wasn't going to be any outside force that was going to be able to stop what God was wanting to do to those people because it was he that shut the door. If you read a little bit further on in the Bible, you see that there were metaphoric doors. There was the door that was closed to the children of Israel as they tried to leave the land of slavery and come into the land of promise. And they couldn't do it on their own, but God began to turn the keys of Pharaoh's hearts and turn the keys of the environment in which they operated and open the door. And when they went they went forward boldly, and every obstacle they came to, God would open that door. It didn't matter if it was water that was blocking their way. It didn't matter if it was armies behind them. The Lord opened the door for them. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, in the next letter he writes to the last church we'll look at next week, he says that he's the God who stands at the door and he knocks. Doors are an important image in the pages of Scripture. One of my favorite door images in the Scripture is Jesus in the Gospel saying of himself, he says this, he says, I am the door. Jesus says that of himself. I am the door. If anyone comes through me, he, she will find life. I'm the door. And in this letter to the church of Philadelphia, Jesus says, I hold the keys. And this is really good news. So it's really good news to the church at Philadelphia. It's really good news to the church here at Four Corners because if Jesus holds the keys and if he has the power to open and shut doors, that means that his authority, his power, and his will is going to be accomplished in the church. Look at what he says in verse 8. 
He says, I know your deeds. The first blank there that's filled in for you so you don't have to write it down. But sometimes Christians wonder if Jesus knows what's going on in their lives. Jesus, do you know what's going on in my marriage? Jesus, do you know what's going on in my house? Do you know what's going on in my, in my church? Do you know what's going on at work? Do you know what's going on in my body? And it's natural sometimes to wonder if Jesus knows what's going on. And the implication is, is if he knows, why is he allowing this thing to go on? But he makes it clear in virtually every one of these letters. He says, I know, I know, I know what's going on. And I know your deeds. I know how you're operating. Now, to the other churches we've been looking at, these were scary words. Because Jesus, after he tells them, I know your deeds, he gives them a list of some things to be commended for. And he gives them a list of some things to be corrected for. So when Jesus writes through John to the church at Philadelphia, I know your deeds, if I'm imagining as they're reading that letter the very first time. Some messenger is standing in front of the group reading the letter for the very first time and Jesus says, I know your deeds because their hearts are soft before God because they value what God values. You're going to see that. I mean, I bet you when they first heard the phrase, I know your deeds, something inside of them, just a slight, just maybe one missed heartbeat. <gasps> he knows. For some people, it was a it was a pause because they were reminded that no matter what circumstance they're in is he knows it. He hasn't forgotten. He's there. He sees it. Maybe for others, they had a slight pause because, oh my goodness, he really does know everything, and I'm not sure that's always good news. It's like when you were in middle school and your parents would come and say, you might as well go ahead and tell us because we already know. Did your, anybody's parents ever do that to you? Like, you might as well go ahead and tell us because we already know, and you have no idea which thing they say they know. And you know the next few words out of your mouth can get you in more trouble or maybe stay some trouble. Yeah, he knows. He holds the keys and he can shut and open doors and he knows their deeds. Look what he says. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. We're talking about the one who holds the key of David, the king. We're talking about King Jesus here. With the infinite authority and infinite power and a mind and an ability and a knowledge that runs to the farthest edge of reality. It's King Jesus and he comes to this church and he says, I know your deeds. And here's what I know about you. You're not very strong. Let's think about that for a second. He comes to the church. I've already told you there's not going to be a single word of correction in here. And the first thing he says to them is, is you're not very strong. Now, that's an interesting phrase to me. Now, I don't know what it is that you think is the power in a local church when it's going well. But I just want to tell you, as a guy who's been a casual observer for church, uh, of church for a long time, most all my life, since I was five years old, I've been in church. And for, I know I don't look this old, but for 30 years I've been doing ministry. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. I don't, but for 30 years I've been doing ministry. And I don't know what it is you think is the power in a local church, but the, here's, here's the truth. Churches are not powerful. 
by any way that we typically measure power. Churches don't have in them an innate ability to overcome obstacles. Churches are, without God, nothing more than glorified country clubs or social service organizations. They have the power of perhaps gathering a few people. I mean, if you put on a big enough show, you can get people. I mean, P.T. Barnum was right. You light something on fire and people will come watch it burn. I mean, you, you can gather people, but that's not the power of a church. There are churches that gather that have no power spiritually. It, it's true. I mean, of the 300,000 churches in America, I don't have any particular ones in mind, but of the 300,000 churches in America, it's going to be true that some are going to be larger and maybe look like they have power, but they don't have spiritual power in them. The church at Philadelphia wasn't strong by any way that people measure strength. I'm assuming they weren't all that big. I'm assuming they weren't all that financially well off. I'm assuming they weren't as fit, didn't have as much fit and finish in their polish of their execution of their program. I, mean, I don't know in what ways they weren't strong. All I know is Jesus looked at them and says, I know your deeds, you're not strong. But this is not a criticism. Let me, let me tell you what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the church is not supposed to be strong apart from the king who holds the strength. I, I, look at what he says. You're not strong, yet you have not denied my name. And that's why you're commended. This is why you're excellent. You're not strong... But I've already told you, this church is going to last 1,300 years. And the only reason that church took a hit at all at 1,300 years is because an outside army came in and literally killed every man, woman, boy, and girl that would not deny the name of Jesus. That happened in history. You can read about it. You're not strong. You don't have any visible strength. And yet you have not denied my name and not denying the name of King Jesus became a foundation that at every shifting turn of history in that church, they were stable, they lasted, they stuck it out, they persisted, they won. And it only caved mechanically, it only caved when every man, woman, boy, and girl was murdered because they wouldn't bow to a God different than Jesus. I would to God that God would send a messenger and tell our church, ah, you think you got it going on? Let me tell you a few things. You suck without me. You can't do anything without me. You have no power without me. Anything you want to do without me is going to come to ruin. You get maybe 20 years. That's what the sociologists will tell you in the life of a church. You get maybe 20 years of vitality. What makes a church last longer? It's not anything other than King Jesus. That's it. That's it. It ain't pretty people. It certainly ain't ugly people. I mean, if we have to choose, let's choose pretty people, right? It ain't smart people. It ain't dumb people either. It ain't the best programming. It isn't 
wide and deep bank accounts. It's not perfect communication. It's not even new kid space, which bugs the heck out of me because I spend an awful lot of time and energy trying to make that happen. You know what it is? You want to you you know? In this church, the only hope we have of reaching your grandkids, can I be honest with you? The only hope we have, Jesus. That's it. Everything else is going to go the way of the dodo bird. Everything. Whatever programs we think are hot and cool and awesome today, you know what's going to happen a generation from now? They're going to laugh at us for them. See, here's what I know. Back in the 1980s, there was a, a, a music group that came out. And if you've been around church for a while, you have, they were called Hosanna Integrity. And they ushered in a whole range of uh, new worship music. This is the period of time when I first really started leaning into my faith as an adult. And I'd stand in services and we'd sing those songs and I had two competing thoughts. One is, man, the presence of God is here like he's never been before on the face of the earth. That's the first thought I had. But it was pretty arrogant, but I was in the zone. And the second thing I had in my mind was, is, man, this is so much better than that music I grew up with. So much better than the music I grew up with. Now, that was immaturity, that was foolishness, that was whatever. But I made my preference... See, I, it, my preference was the more spiritual preference. My preference was the way that God would do his greatest work. My preference was the way that God's work would be done better. For, and I used to say to myself, like, man, if my parents' church could just do it the way we're doing it here at this church where we have it really going on, they might be able to do something. Now, I know nobody here has ever, ever, ever elevated their preference and put it on some kind of spiritual platform that made it better than somebody else's. I know you've never done that. I know that. Of course not. It's only me. That's why I'm here. This is the place where I do therapy. That's what I'm here for. I do my personal therapy in front of you, right? No, no. Here's the thing. Worship music, the style, the color of a room, the shape of a building, its location, how they're designed, none of that is the power of a local church. The power of a local church is King Jesus. And he's the one that can open the door for the church to do its work. And when Jesus is done with the church, he shuts the door of a church and they don't do any more work. That's the way it works. And the Philadelphia church, without a lot of whatever it was in that culture that made it awesome and cool, maybe a lot of the stuff that the church at Ephesus had or maybe some of the energy that the church at Thyatira had, whatever, whatever it was, whatever it was, they didn't have it, but what they had was a foundation that was able to stand the tremors, the earthquakes, the shakeups that happened in life, the kinds of things that happened physically in their area all the time that shook buildings, knocked them down all the time. This church had the ability to withstand those spiritual tremors. I see you have a little strength, yet you've kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Then look what he says. I'll make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, that the, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. So evidently, there's a group of people, and they, they were religious, 
they, they remember everybody here's Jewish background, so this is not like anti-Judaism at all. Like they're all Jewish background, and this group of people over here were acting all religious, but they were doing the work not of Jesus but of Satan. And here's what here's what Jesus says to this church: I'm going to make them come, and they're going to they're going to bow down to you, and they're going to acknowledge. Don't you? I, I love what Jesus does here. He doesn't say they're going to bow down to you and acknowledge how awesome you are. He doesn't say they're going to bow down to you and, and look at you and say, look how awesome you guys are and we stink. That's not what they, they're going to bow down to you. And here's what, when they bow down, here's what they're going to be acknowledging as they bow down to you. That I have, do you know this next word? I have loved you. Out of all the letters we've done, this is my favorite. I, I think it's because of this one line right here. I don't know if you thought about it or not in a wild church, but King Jesus, who opens the door for the church to do its work, here's what he says about his church. I love you. I love you. If you get a full picture of that, that you are loved by the one who holds the keys, who can shut doors that no one can open, and he can open doors that no one can close, you get a picture that that king with immense power and authority loves you. That's encouraging. Now, if there was ever a group of people that needed to be encouraged, it's people in church. Because did I tell you, you have an enemy. You have an enemy of your soul. He wants nothing of God's work to happen in your life. And he will leverage everything. He will leverage everything to keep you from experiencing the very thing that God has for you. He'll leverage your own emotions. He'll play somehow. Somehow, God has given him a, a certain amount of latitude to affect emotion. That's why places in the Bible were reminded that you've got to be careful even with your own heart. Because your heart is the wellspring of life. At one point, the Bible says, be careful with your own heart because even your own heart can deceive you. You can't even trust your own emotions. The enemy will play with them and convince you that because God hasn't answered the prayer in the way that you're praying, that he's not there, he doesn't know, he doesn't see. Or the problem's so big that King Jesus, who holds the keys, doesn't hold a key big enough for your thing to play with you with your emotions. He'll play with your relationships. He'll take the things that used to be life-giving and enjoyable and he'll, however he does it, tweak it, turn it, distract it, separate it. So the thing that used to be a source of great joy for you, now just the thought of it is just a drain. Yeah, if there's ever a group of people that needed encouraged, it's the church. It's not ironic to me that today is a day that we set out months ago to celebrate a woman who made a deep investment in our church. Week in, week out, when it was hard, when it was easy, when she had two kids and when she had 20 kids which somehow breaks a law somewhere. I don't know how that happens, but she was faithful 
and served and served and served. I've seen people like that. Our church, by the way, closes its doors, it seems like, if we, if we wouldn't have people like that. I mean, I've seen people go to extreme lengths just to volunteer time in hopes that God would use it to establish his name, a little bit of his kingdom in the heart of somebody else. It's almost as if they believe that God has loved them and out of the overflow of their knowledge of his love for them, they just want to live some of that out. That's what was happening at the church at Philadelphia. And Jesus came along one day and he said through John, I see you. I know what's going on. And just before I tell you what I want to tell you, I want to tell you a little bit about me. I got the keys. Whatever door you're facing, I hold the key. And let's be clear about you, Philadelphia. You ain't got a lot of stuff. Let me tell you what you got. You got grit. You got a faithfulness that even when it wasn't easy, you would not deny my name. You held on. And I know that others have said things about you. Even, even other people in other religious environments have said things about you. But I want to tell you what's the most important thing that can be said about you. I love you. I don't know. I just have a hunch that perhaps there might be a few Christians in the room right now who need to be reminded that your heavenly father sent his one and only son because he loved you. He doesn't have neutral thoughts about you. He's already made up his mind. You are deeply loved by the creator of the universe, the one who holds the key to every door. He continues in verse 10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is to come upon the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. There's something about to happen, but, but I'm going to offer some protection to you. It's interesting when you look at that. Because Jesus is not saying I'm going to ele necessarily elevate you and remove you from it, but I'm going to protect you through it. Mechanically, I have no idea historically how that played itself out. I mean, there are different places in the history of the church at Philadelphia. You can go through and see things. And, but I can tell you this, more than any other of the seven churches, that church lasted. It made impact because they patiently endured. It reminds me of Noah that we talked about earlier. The Bible says 120 years he faithfully built an ark. 120 years. That's how long the Bible says it took him. It reminds me of Abraham who got a promise when he was in his early 90s and it wasn't fulfilled till his late 90s. It, it, it reminds me of, 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 of the Apostle Paul who has a Damascus Road experience and dedicates his life, ultimately loses his head to Nero's sword and he patiently through great affliction, through shipwreck, through snakebite, through being stoned, through being scourged, through being literally driven out of town. 
with an angry mob behind him, patiently endured. It reminds me of some of the writers of the New Testament who say, do not become weary in doing what is right, for at a proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not faint. I, w- I wonder, I wonder what the one who holds the keys, who declares over you that you are loved, I wonder what encouragement he would speak to you to get you to endure. I don't know what it is you need to endure. I know that, I know that we're to endure whatever it is with fidelity to the king. Because we believe he loves us. We believe he has power. We believe he has insight. We believe he's the one who knows where we're supposed to go. And he's directing our paths. Look at verse 11. I'm coming soon. I don't know if we hear that enough these days. I think if you go to third world countries, a couple of pastors and I are going to be in India and we're going to go to the jungle, do some preaching. Y'all pray for us. We'll talk about that next week. But I know in third world countries, it's pretty normal for people to preach about the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Not so popular in churches where truth is that the quality of our life is such as we don't really need heaven to make us much happier, we think. But the truth is, is Jesus is going to come soon. How soon, Ben? I don't know, but sooner now than last year. Sooner now than when I was a kid. Sooner now than when he first spoke it. So whatever it is, I'm coming soon. That's what he wanted the church of Philadelphia to know. And because of that, listen to these next two words. Hold on. Hold on. Hey, hey, this world is wrapping up. And the one who holds the keys that can shut the door on the whole thing, he's coming back. So because you're loved, hold on. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. So he's painting a picture of of conflict, of challenge. And here's a faithful church that's enduring, but his word of encouragement to them is, look, it's going to get rough around you. Now, I'm going to help you. But you're going to have to hold on. If not, people are going to take your crown. Now, that's not the crown of a king, although it's a good metaphor. This is the crown of the victor. The one who wins the race. The one who gets the laurels that says, you beat everybody else. Hold on. The one who is is victorious, the Bible says, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Now we're back to talking about the church. To the ones who are victorious, let me tell you what God's going to do with your life, Jesus says to the church of Philadelphia. You're going to be like one of those pillars, one of the big ones. One of those pillars that when the ground shakes, and you're all used to that, and historically it's happened a lot, even now, when the ground shakes, I'm going to make you like one of the pillars, and you are going to be able to withstand the shaking. You're going to be able to withstand the challenge. If you hold on, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to make you like one of those columns holding up the whole edifice. I, I don't want to be overly melodramatic here. But I, 
I sincerely believe that there are people in this room and God has with your life been fashioning you to be a pillar, to be a column. And you're a column in the Lord's church. You're part of what God's doing redemptively in this world. And in your family, you're the one and you're holding on. And others aren't. And you feel the weight of that. You feel the weight that there aren't a whole lot of pillars sometimes. But you're faithful. Do you know what Jesus says to you? Here's a couple things. I love you. I'm powerful. And if you don't buckle, I'm going to establish you and the work of your life. And I'm going to establish the testimony of what you have been about. You will be a pillar in your family. You'll be a pillar in the community for the sake of Christ. You'll be a pillar in your local church. That's what's at stake. That's why you have to hold on. Is You will literally be used by God to help hold the whole thing up. In my family, that was my mom. It was her prayers. Now, God could have used anybody, but he used my mom, and without fail, she went to her knees and she prayed daily for her family. God established her as a pillar that even her grandkids, who haven't been able to be around her because she passed a few years ago as much, they know of her faith. We, we're celebrating a, a woman who was a pillar in our church and our kids' community and our kids' ministry. I don't know all of your stories, but I want to make it crystal clear to you. The Lord does. He sees it. He knows the sacrifice, the prayer, the effort, the energy, the concern, the tears whispered at night, the hard conversations, the quiet whispered prayers because you couldn't even pray out loud. He saw it all. The acts of service, the generosity, the time invested. He saw it all. He wants you to know the door of your life and its impact is wide open. And there's no devil in hell. There's no force on the earth that can shut the door of your life that your heavenly father through his son Jesus who holds the keys is opening. The one who's victorious, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. In other words, it's going to last. I'll write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. It's interesting. It's about AD 90 right now. In AD 70, the temple, the third one, because the other two had been destroyed. We were talking about pillars and God's work and God's temple. In about A.D. 70, the Romans come in and they ransack Jerusalem. They tear all the buildings down. It's a horrible, horrible event. And here Jesus is saying, look, the building might be torn down. Herod's temple might be in ruins. But I'm going to establish pillars for my church. And they will last and they're not just in Jerusalem, the holy city. No, 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 no. They're in the new Jerusalem, renewed, made new by God, the one that will 
be established and no marauding forces, no empire, no force of darkness will be able to do anything with it. That's what your life will be. You'll be established like a pillar. You have to hold on because what you're holding on for is not just you. You hold on because you're also holding up. God's using you as a support for what he's doing in this world. Now let's be clear. There's nothing negative for this church. Of course, that does not mean that this church was perfect. It just meant that the overwhelming testimony of this church was is that even in light of the fact that they are not perfect, that there were clearly, obviously, sins present. There were people at all levels of spiritual maturity. Even though all that's true, the overwhelming testimony of this church is, is that King Jesus got to be king in that church. And he got to be king in the lives of the people of that church. And when Jesus was king in the lives of the people of that church, he established them as pillars. And they became a picture of a temple that wouldn't be shaken by earthquakes and shifting soils. These people banded together this pillar and this pillar and this pillar and this pillar. And one more time, let me remind you, for 13 1,500 years, the testimony, the light of that church was powerful. You can read church history, how missionary after missionary left the Philadelphia church. One of the prominent ones that passed by Philadelphia was the Apostle Thomas and his followers. And they make their way to India. And they bring the gospel. They pass right through Philadelphia. Much of the work of Jesus early on, the first couple hundred years, much of the missionaries spent time at Philadelphia in their journals, in their writings. You can read, Google me on, you can, they spend time in Philadelphia because that church, they weren't powerful, they didn't have it, but they were pillars, they were established in a world that was falling apart. They were not because King Jesus was king of their lives. And he says to that church, and he says to you and me, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to write my name on you. I'm going to chisel my name on you. And it's going to stand as a testament. It's going to stand as a testimony. And then verse 13. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm just, I, I just wonder if the Holy Spirit is whispering in anybody's ear these words, keep holding on. You're loved. The work you're doing is important. Do not give up. Do not give up. Keep pressing in. Let's spend just a moment on our notes on the bottom. I've already told you, if you've ever wondered if Jesus knew what was going on, he does. If you need a word of encouragement today, I hope you've gotten it. Do not give up. Do not. Do not grow weary in doing what is right. Even if nobody else sees it, King Jesus does. Jesus does. Nobody saw what you sacrificed. Jesus does. Nobody gave you credit. Jesus does. That's all that matters, ultimately. In fact, that's all that's going to last. Here's something I've observed 
Those who are serving Jesus and Jesus' church, they're rarely the ones who have time to complain about how everybody else isn't serving Jesus and his church. I've just discovered this has just been, as complaints go up, typically vision has gone down. That's just observation. You take, do that what you want. But typically, as complaints go up, vision for the Lord, vision for his church, vision for ministry has gone down. And I think for some of us in the room, the root of your frustration and your pain comes ultimately because you haven't been enduring. You haven't been pursuing. You haven't been standing like a pillar in the way the Lord has called you to. And what happens when you don't fulfill your purpose like that, there's some just discombobulation that happens in your heart and in your soul and in your life. Satan hates the church, but the good news is, is Jesus loves the church. Satan hates you, but the good news is Jesus loves you. Satan hates your family, but the good news is Jesus loves your family. Satan hates your kids. Satan hates everything about you, but Jesus loves you. And the good news for every church in America today, all 300,000 of us, is while the church is not powerful in itself, there's nothing we have that can change a single human heart. Jesus is powerful. He is. Jesus is powerful. And he still has the ability to reach in and do that heart surgery that only he can do. Take a heart blackened, hard like stone, and make it soft, pliable in the potter's hands. Let's just be clear. If it's not about King Jesus, it really doesn't belong in the church, does it? Really? I mean, if it's not all about him, what are we doing anyway? Seriously. I mean, if it's a kingdom to Ben, if it's a kingdom to you, if it's about something else, what are we really doing? Let's be clear. When we talk about kids' ministry, we're not here loving kids. That's not our ministry. We're here loving kids to teach them about Jesus. In our church, other churches do it differently. We don't just give a cup of cold water because somebody's thirsty. Other churches can do that. We give a cup of cold water in his name because it's about Jesus. We're not serving because we're serve junkies. We serve because King Jesus told us to serve. There are people in this church who give. They don't give because they have abundant money or because that's just what you do and everybody got to pay their fair share. They give because King Jesus said to give. I don't ask you to invite your friends to church so that you can grow a church for me. I ask you to invite your friends to church because King Jesus used these words right over here to every disciple. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We're not here for any other reason other than King Jesus. And when we forget that, church gets upside down real quick. And Jesus wrote a letter to the Philadelphia church and he wrote a letter to us Recorded it in the Bible, and he says, here's the thing. If you endure, you make it all about me. I hold the keys. I'll open the doors. I'll shut the doors. I'll prepare the steps. The steps of a righteous person, the Bible says, are ordered by the Lord. Let me give you the last thought. For those of you that are holding on, maybe you feel like you're holding on by a thread. I want to make it perfectly clear to you. You can endure anything in your life if Jesus is everything in your life. You can endure anything in your life if Jesus is everything in your life. You can endure somebody who doesn't like you if Jesus is everything. 
You can endure somebody's disapproval if Jesus is everything. You can endure some girlfriend or boyfriend's mistreatment of you if Jesus is everything. You can enjoy deep hurt and dissatisfaction if Jesus is everything. The problem is in the church is that if Jesus is not everything, the church is not only weak an outward appearance, it's weak at the most rudimentary level, at the level that really counts, at the foundation. Jesus has to be everything. When I pray through these seven churches and the messages we've been doing, I pray more than for any other church that God would make us like Philadelphia, that we would not put our trust in any other thing than King Jesus. And only in him would we be established. And everything else would melt away. And let me make it perfectly clear. Whether I pray like that or not, that's exactly what's going to happen. Jesus is going to purify his church. That's what he does. He loves us enough. And Jesus will purify your life. That's what he does. And only what's done for him is what's going to last. Only what's done for him is going to last. So, why don't you grab out your connect card and let's make Ben quit talking and move on to next steps a little bit. I've been talking a lot about Jesus today, but if you don't yet have a relationship with him, why don't you see if the Holy Spirit isn't knocking on the door of your heart? Just ask yourself, you want a relationship with the one who died for you and is resurrected? If you do, you can take the pen, check the box, put the card in the offering bucket in a minute, but bow with me and pray and say, God, save me. I trust the work that Jesus has done on his cross and in his resurrection. I trust it. I trust it. How about next to be today? I'm choosing to be baptized. I think, um, I think we're at eight next week that have already pre-committed to this, and we think there'll be a few more. If you haven't been baptized, you want to have a question about it, um, check the box. We'll talk with you this week, get you lined up. It's a great day to get baptized next Sunday. Now, the next three Steps are just for you to consider. I offer them. Here's a prayer that I'm going to invite you to pray with me. It says this, Jesus, would you fill our church with families and help them to know your love and to give their lives to your church? Jesus, would you fill our church with families and would you help them to know your love and to give their lives to your church? This is my prayer almost every day. God, give us families. Give us souls. Make them fall in love with you. Use our church to do it. Let them become a part of what you're doing in this world. Make them a part of your church. Establish them as pillars in your church. Here's next step D. It's a chance for you to be honest. The Bible says truth sets people free. So here's an opportunity for you to be truthful. It says, my behavior says church engagement really is an afterthought for me. Like I take it or leave it. And it says, I have some growing to do to make the Lord's church more of a priority for me. It's clearly a big deal to Jesus. If it isn't to you, this is an opportunity for you to just admit that. And when we pray in a minute, say to God, God, your church has been a casual matter for me too much. All right, and the next step, he says, I'll invite a friend to our church for this week for our big 10 a.m. service next Sunday, right? Next Sunday, 10 a.m., one service right here in this room. And uh, I'd love for you to invite a friend. Now, if you're not going to invite a friend, don't lie. Don't lie. Just don't check it. But if you are, check it and let me pray with you, all right? Why don't you set your card aside? If you call this church home, 
your opportunity to uh, give back to God a portion of what he's blessed you with. You know, I've thought a lot this week about why people give. And um, I haven't come up with a lot of hard answers. I can't answer for everybody else. But there are a few of you I know enough, and we've had these conversations over time. Let me tell you some of the answers why I hear people give to this church. Uh, They believe in what we're doing. Um, God's used it to touch their lives. Some people just go a very practical look. I just know it takes money to do ministry, and I like this place, and I just want to make it happen. Underneath all of that, what's really going on is somebody has basically said, I know that to serve Jesus means that he impacts all of my life. That includes my money. And so sitting all around you in this room are people who give back to the Lord's work in this church because it's a practical expression of their faithfulness to Jesus. And I want you to know, your investment here is not wasted. Not at all. Not at all. We're going to have a membership meeting tonight, and you get to see some of that if you're a member. But you can walk around, and you can see bricks and mortar. But more than that, today as you're leaving, would you do me a favor, and would you just at least one time look in the eyes of somebody else and know that it is in part because of your giving that God allows us to touch that person's life. We're going to pray We're going to receive our offering, and then you have a chance to take communion, where we're going to celebrate the broken body of Jesus that was broken to be made so that we could be made whole. And we're going to take a piece of the cracker and dip it into the grape juice, put it in our mouths, and remember that his blood was shed to cover our sins. And we're going to remember that our Savior does, in fact, love us. And he'll nourish us with everything we need to endure. So if you give, thank you. You're making a difference. And if you've received the ministry of this church in any way, you're welcome. The people who make it happen love to do it. And the truth is they are glad to do it for you, but they don't do it just for you. They do it for him. You're just kind of the byproduct. And we're glad for that. Why don't we pray about our next steps and our offering and our communion time together. Would you bow with me? Father, we want to thank you for your great love. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you're still telling your church that you love us. You're still telling us that you're more powerful than the world around us. You're still telling us that you can open doors that no man can shut and you can shut doors that no one can open. Today, Lord, we want a bigger picture of you. God, I want to thank you for the pillars that you've established in this church. Simple, obedient men and women who do not give up. They don't turn to the right or to the left. They keep their eyes on King Jesus. Today, Lord, we take next steps. We give gifts not to build a kingdom to man, but we do what we do to give honor and glory to the King. So, Lord, I ask that you would come now. You would encourage the discouraged. You would fill hearts. Lord, even as we take communion together, you would nourish our souls. Pick up the brokenhearted. Speak joy where there's sadness. Speak peace where there's confusion and pain. 
We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy Son. Amen and amen.